0: I thought of two stories that I had heard in the news recently as I was reading the scripture for today. The first was about a woman in Russia who was suing McDonald's. and It wasn't over hot coffee. We're familiar with that story. She was suing McDonald's because she was on a fast for Lent and she saw an advertisement for a McDonald's burger and the advertisement caused her to go get a burger and therefore break her fast. And so she decided that McDonald's was at fault because this advertisement had caused her to break her fast. So that's story number one. Story number two is also a story about a lawsuit that's been in the news a lot lately, and you may be familiar with this one. It's a lawsuit which was filed against the Purdue Pharma, which was the producer of Oxy, one of the producers of OxyContin, which has been a plague upon our nation with people addicted. and. Thousands of people losing their lives because of this. There was a lawsuit filed and it recently went through the courts and the bankruptcy court. And at the center of that lawsuit was the Sackler family, heads of Purdue Pharma, one of the richest families in the country. And one of the things as I was reading through the results of this lawsuit was that the Sackler family ultimately accepted no responsibility for it. And while there were billions of dollars paid out to help people affected by it, none of it came from the personal wealth of the Sackler family. Now, I'm not necessarily going to get into all the politics of this or why, and maybe there were right decisions or wrong decisions about whether a woman should be able to sue McDonald's for breaking her fast, or whether or not the Sacklers should have been held guilty. But there are a couple of principles going on. As one, time, one of those is that, A lot of the lawsuits we see these days, they're just ridiculous, aren't they? They just happen all the time. We hear about lawsuit after lawsuit, and we think, why are they doing this? And it seems like this is the American pastime. It's not baseball. It's taking people to court. The second thing that I want to observe from the Sackler family, again, is that sometimes when we read about lawsuits and we watch things, that it feels like those with wealth, those with power have a different set of standards. We say in America that there's justice for all. And we see the figure of Lady Justice with the blindfolds and the scales. But sometimes it feels like those with money just get the scales a little bit different balanced. That sometimes they get off a little easier, that it's easier to do things. And we can see that in the courts, that if you have the money to hire a really good lawyer, You're more likely to do better in court than if you don't have the money to do that. So I want us to keep those two things in mind because some of those things aren't that much different. We think, oh, this is a new phenomena. It's not. It's part of what Paul is talking about in the letter to the Corinthians, this idea that sometimes lawsuits are ridiculous and sometimes the wealthy and the powerful have a different perspective or have a different advantage. And so I want us to think in this passage from the letter to the Corinthians— But what happens when Christians bring one another to court? And so we're in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We're finishing up our series called Our Strange Bible. We've been looking all summer long at these strange and peculiar passages in the Scripture. And we could go on and on because there are lots of strange and peculiar passages in the Bible. But hopefully you've learned some things and we'll continue to come back to some of those. But next week we're going to be starting a brand new series. We're going to be studying the book of Ephesians. And so we'll be just kind of working our way slowly through the book of Ephesians, probably all the way up until Christmas time. But we're finishing up today with this strange Bible. And some of it, as you heard Susan reading, and maybe you heard like, we're judging the world. And then as Jan alluded to, we're judging angels. What's that all about? So in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is writing and they're dealing with issues of shame. He's planted this church. They're having some issues. And now he's writing letters to help them resolve it. And he comes back to them and here in chapter 6, he begins, If any one of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment? It's kind of that language of, do you dare to take it? It's kind of like, you hear Paul and you hear and you recognize what Paul's saying is, this isn't a good thing to be doing. This isn't an I dare you. This is saying there's something wrong about that. And the chances are, as he's talking about bringing these disputes, he's not talking about criminal procedures. He's talking about civil lawsuits, something that's going on here. And like today, or maybe even differently than today, is that the courts back then were very much geared towards the wealthy and the powerful. That what often happened was when you went to the judges, The judges would base their decisions sometimes, particularly, like I said, in civil cases versus criminal cases, base their decisions based on what you did for them. It was a quid pro quo. I'll do this for you. You do this for them. The other thing that often happened in the courts back then was it was those who were in positions of status, those who were in positions of power, would bring those who were in lesser positions to court. And it was a way to continue to bring their power and maintain power over them. And one of the ways to do it was to bring somebody to court and then to talk about what a horrible person they were, to defame them, to put them down. And that was how you wanted a case. The way to win a case was to make the other person look really bad. And so now Paul's saying to these Christians, he's saying, what are you doing bringing your cases? Why are you taking it to these outside courts where it's skewed to the wealthy and powerful? Why are you taking the outside courts where the way to win is by to put somebody down? And so he's going on about what he says. He said, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? And when we're reading along, all of a sudden, this might be the part where we get tripped up. We come along and we think, wait a minute, judging angels? What's that all about? And if we look furiously through our Bible, we think, oh, okay, I know what to do. If I come along something and I don't understand it, I look for it somewhere else in the Bible to see what the Bible says. That's good practice. Problem is, you start looking through your Bible, it doesn't say a whole lot about judging angels. There's one verse in Daniel chapter 7 and a little bit in Jude about judgment. Judgment but not a whole lot of details. And so then you are saying, oh, what does it mean to judge angels? And who are the angels? Are they they the good angels? Are they the bad angels? Maybe the angels aren't really people. Maybe there's something else. And we can go down all sorts of rabbit trails and chase after theories and ideas and spend all kinds of time saying, what does it mean to judge angels? And am I going to be doing that? What's it going to look like? And sometimes when we do that, we miss the point. Because sometimes we don't have to understand every little detail and everything to get the point of the story. So 1977, movie comes out called Star Wars. Yes, I'm going to talk about Star Wars. So I haven't done that for a while. But movie Star Wars, if you've never seen it, we can talk about that later. But there's a scene in the movie where the hero Luke is in this hut with a man named Ben, or Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Ben hands him this object, and Luke says, what's this? And Ben says to him, this is your father's lightsaber. And Luke ignites it, and he starts waving it around. And Ben goes on, and he says, this was the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. And then he goes on, he says, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Now at that point, if you're watching the movie, you might have all kinds of questions. Wait a minute. How does the lightsaber work? Who are these Jedi Knights? And the reality is we don't learn a whole lot more about the Jedi Knights till like 10 years later. It's more movies that George Lucas created. But you don't need to know everything about the Jedi Knights to understand what happened in that moment. Because at that moment, when Ben hands this thing to Luke and says, your father was a Jedi Knight who are these guardians of peace and justice, all of a sudden there are all these ideas and you know that this was something special. That whatever a Jedi Knight was, however they became Jedi Knights, whatever they wore, however they were organized, they were some special people and they did amazing things and they were guardians of peace. This story is much the same way here in our scripture. Where while we may not understand fully all the details of judging angels. Or what it looks like to judge the world. It sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty significant thing. And if you were to think about it in terms of, let's see, judging angels. Suing someone at McDonald's for an advertisement. How would you rank those things? I mean, judging angels is pretty significant, right? And even most other lawsuits, if you've ever been involved in a lawsuit or seen most of the cases that go to court, judging the world and judging angels, all the other lawsuits we deal with in our life. Even if you don't know much about judging angels or judging the world, all the details of it, you realize that what? Judging the angels and judging the world is this incredibly significant thing. And everything else is trivial. And that's the point Paul is making. He's saying, why are you doing this? Why are you going to the courts with these lawsuits? In other words, why are you taking them to someone else to judge? You're going to be judging angels. You should be able to deal with this yourself. He's saying, don't take it to these outside courts. Don't take it to people outside of the church. You are competent to judge angels. You're going to be judging the world and judging angels. You need to be able to deal with this stuff on your own. And so what he's saying is this, that you're involving outsiders. You're involving the unjust, these judges that give favor to the rich and to the powerful. You're involving them in the business of the church. John Chrysostom, an early preacher in the church, said this. He said, For how can it be anything, for how can it be anything other than absurd for a man who disagrees, disagrees with his friend to choose their mutual enemy as a reconciler? I'm going to read that again. He says, For how can it be, he's, he's commenting on this passage, For how can it be anything other than absurd for a man who disagrees with his friend to choose their mutual enemy as a reconciler? What he's saying is here we are in the church and we're having these squabbles in the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are part of the just, you're part of the righteous. And now you're taking your arguments and your disputes to people on the outside out to the unjust. You're bringing the case to the unjust who favor the rich and powerful. That's not the way of Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons he's saying, don't do that. The second reason he's telling us not to do it, he says, because lawsuits are about power and winning, about claiming rights, about the rich and powerful taking advantage. In other words, what Paul is saying to this church is, this outside influence is creeping in. This is what happens out in the world. But the influence of the world is creeping into the church. You can imagine if within a church... Take yourself back 2,000 years to Corinth and you've got two people in the church and one of them takes the other to court. Now it doesn't, hard to use our imagination to realize that if I have these two people in church, we'll call them Quintus and Gaius, that some people are going to choose Quintus' side, right? Some people are going to choose Gaius' side. So now what happens? What do we have in church? We have factions. We have splits. And somebody's rooting for Quintus and somebody's rooting for Gaius. And if Quintus wins, everybody's going to say, yeah, all right, Quintus. And the people of Gaius that are making him mad. And if this were church in 2021, what would happen? Gaius and his friends, what would they do? Pack up and they'd find a new church, right? And so Paul is saying, This is what happens when we do this. When we have lawsuits in church, when you're taking them to the outside instead of resolving them within the church, you're going to split us up and you're going to cause factions. And he actually goes on and he says, you know what's even better than that? He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits means you've already been defeated. He says, you don't even need to go to court to lose. As soon as you think about going to court, as soon as you're starting to, you've been defeated. He said, the better cause... He says, just be cheated. Why not rather be wronged? In other words, accept what the problem is instead of causing the divisions in factions. Now, I want to be clear on this. This isn't a license to accept all wrongs factions. We're talking about civil cases here about particular things. I've mentioned um, several times over the past few months that things that have gone on in numerous churches around the country with abuse, of women and of children and stuff. This is not the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's not the kind of thing where we say, oh well, we'll just deal with it within the church. That's a criminal case. We have an obligation to deal with this. This is something more along the lines of, there's a you know just an argument between a couple people in the church. And that's really the kind of things they're talking about. Where there's just kind of this disagreement about it and we go and we take it outside the church now taking it outside the church may not be in our world taking it to the judges in terms of a court but maybe we take it to the other judge that seems to rule in our land the judge of social media where we have a dispute within our congregation we're upset at someone in our congregation so what do we do we take it to Facebook the arbiter and we say you wouldn't believe what happened to me in church today I can't believe this well what have we done we're taking it there. Why, why are we taking it there? We're not taking it there. We're taking it there because we want a bunch of people to give us likes and thumbs up and agree with us and say, you're right. Man, that person was a total dirtbag. Why did they do that to you? What have you done when you do that? Cause factions and divisions. And you're taking it to arbiters outside the church. You're taking it to the unjust. You're ruining. And Paul says, it's better to just be wronged. We think, well... What do you mean be wronged? Somebody hurt me. Somebody did something wrong. Jesus had this funny way of putting things. He says, somebody takes your cloak, give him a second one. If they ask you to go a mile, go two miles. If they strike you, turn the other cheek. We don't like that. I don't like that. But this is what Paul is saying is critical for the way things are to be done that this is how to deal with these things. So this whole concept of judging angels just fits in this bigger thing of saying that we have a destiny. And this is what the Paul the point Paul is making here is we have a future destiny that is incredible and great. In fact, the whole book of Ephesians we're going to be focusing on this. We have this identity where we have been raised with Christ and at the end of the age we're going to be ruling and reigning with him and judging angels and judging the world. And Paul is inviting us here, just as he does throughout the book of Ephesians, to live into that future identity. To say, one day this is who you'll be. God is taking you to this place. Now to begin to live into that identity. Become who you are. And that's where this last little part comes in because he's Kind of talking about this, he's talking about the discussion of wrongdoing. And basically, he's saying, you know, when you've already been defeated, and in a a sense, what he's saying is wronging your brother and sister in this way makes you wonder if you're ever saved or justified. If you're doing this to people, people might wonder. And then he goes on about the other kinds of immorality and injustice about sexual immorality, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy. And he's saying, these are not the people who inherit the kingdom of God. And then at that point, we're just like, yeah, that's right. Keep those people out. And then Paul says, yeah, and some of you were that way. But you are no longer because you were justified. You were sanctified. You were washed. And he's saying, in other words, you used to be a certain way. And this is the story of Jesus. This is the story of the good news. That once you were one way, but because of Jesus... You are now another way. You have been washed. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. You have been cleansed. You have been changed. You have been transformed. And it's a process. It would be nice if when we came to Jesus, all of a sudden, everything just got better. All those old bad habits, all those old patterns, all those old ways of doing things just went away. That we didn't lie anymore, that we didn't cheat anymore, that we didn't steal anymore, that we didn't have bad thoughts about people, we didn't say bad things about people, that we didn't think unkind thoughts, that we didn't love, that we didn't fail to love our neighbors, all those things. Mm-hmm. Did it work like that for any of you? That like you gave your life to Jesus and pow, you're instantly everything's better, right? It's a process. There's some of it, right? There's some of those things that are like that but all of us are experiencing some things that we're working on still. And that's our old life and the new life. And Paul's saying, some of you were that way, but now you're not. And what Paul is inviting the Corinthians to do is to say, I want you to look to the future. And in the future, you will be fully washed. You will be fully justified. You will be fully sanctified. You will be reigning and ruling with Christ in the future world. You will be judging the world. You will be judging angels. You will be in those places. And what I want you to do is to begin to live into that reality now. And that's our invitation. Is to realize this life that Jesus has made for us. And that's where Paul, he goes back and forth in all his letters about kind of the, the already, the not yet, this, this place where we're seated at the right hand, where we're, we're already in the heavenlies. We're living into these places. And Paul's saying, Begin to live into that new life now. He's saying, don't wait. Don't wait till the end of time to begin doing that. Begin living that way now. Stop squabbling with your brothers and sisters in church over these little things. Stop taking them to outside arbiters. In fact, sometimes what you need to do is just say, oh, okay, they hurt me, they wronged me, and just walk away. That takes the power of the Spirit. That takes the love of Jesus because I know I can't do that on my own. When somebody wrongs me, somebody hurts me, I want to punch back, right? I want to hurt back. And sometimes the way of Jesus looks a little different. And it looks a little different because when we act a little different, what Paul, in some sense, is saying is people around us notice. He says, You've already been defeated. If we're doing that because other people are seeing it and saying, you're not any different. So it's an invitation from Paul to begin living the new life now. To realize that in Jesus, through his death and resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been washed, we've been justified, we've been sanctified. And then our old life is gone and we have a new life. And in this new life, we're on a journey to an even greater new life where we will be fully whole, fully restored, and fully who God has created us to be. And what God invites us to do is to stop living that old life. And instead, by the power of the Spirit, through the love of Jesus, to begin living into that new life. To fix our eyes on Jesus and say, I want to live that new life now. And so may we as God's people begin living that new life now. To live into what God has called us to do. Because we have a glorious future awaiting us. And Paul says, don't wait. Start living it now. And so may we live it now. Amen.